Hi, and welcome to Finding Your Way Through Therapy. I am your host, Steve Bissell. I'm an author and mental health counselor. Are you curious about therapy? Do you feel there is a lot of mystery about therapy? Do you wonder what your therapist is doing and why? The goal of this podcast is to make therapy and psychology accessible to all by using real language and straight-to-the-point discussions. This podcast wants to remind you to take care of your mental health, just like you would your physical health. Therapy should not be intimidating. It should be a great way to better health. I will demystify what happens in counseling, discuss topics related to mental health, and discussions you can have with your therapist. I also want to introduce psychology in everyday life, as I feel most of our lives are enmeshed in psychology. I want to introduce the subtle and not-so-subtle ways psychology plays a factor in our lives. It will be my own mix of thoughts as well as special guests. So join me on this discovery of therapy and psychology. Hi, and welcome to episode 56 of Finding Your Way Through Therapy. I am Steve Bissell. If you haven't listened to episode 55 yet, please do so. It was a great conversation with Kara Terrell and Bill Dwinnells. We talked about emergency work, and it was really worthwhile. So go back to listen to it if you can. But episode 56 would be with Lisa Dennis. Lisa Dennis has been a guest before on episode eight, and we talked about wrestling. But this time, we're going to talk about different stuff. We want to talk about the law of attraction, the law of assumption, how that relates to the quantum field, the emotional state of individuals, and how it relates to trauma. So I hope that this little teaser will be very beneficial. And here is the interview. Hi, and welcome to episode 56 of Finding Your Way Through Therapy, and this is episode six on YouTube, so don't forget to go see that if you're listening to the podcast, and if you're watching it on YouTube, go on my podcast at episode 56. I'm bringing back a guest, and obviously you wouldn't be able to tell because you didn't see her on episode eight, but on episode eight, Lisa Dennis came in and we talked about the psychology of wrestling, and it was interesting because we've known each other for a long time, and we love talking about wrestling. But we love even more talking about our spirituality. So, Lisa, I just want to welcome you again. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, happy to be back. Thank you for having me back. And you told me about the wig. Tell everyone about the wig because I think it's a great, both of us being cancers, it's a great- Cancer season, baby. Yeah, it's the cancer new moon. And, you know, I thought it was fitting. I knew we would talk a little bit about manifestation tonight. So I thought we would give some of the undersea cancer vibes tonight for the look and for all your- Gen Z listeners, I hope it's giving. I hope it's giving. And it's and it's a nice blue wig that we, we for those of you listening on the podcast, before we start, I know we're going to go into spirituality. Just based on our last conversation on episode eight, for those of you who want to go back, you can go ahead and do so. I couldn't wear it because of the, the earbuds, but just wanted to show you my uh, 1997 so uh, hat of the Heart Foundation just to throw it a little bit out there. I, I did not know you're going to throw that kind of shade at me or I would have brought some HBK merch to the pod tonight. Well, that's why I didn't tell you. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> hey, we'll just that's be friend. That's not a work. That's <laughs> <laughs> actual heat for me at the top of the spirituality. Pod. Good for you. That's perfect. Hey, you know what? I got to start off with a little heat. That's how you get people to like you eventually. <laughs> <laughs> So for those of you who don't know you, Lisa, how about you describe yourself or tell me a little bit more about yourself? Yeah. So by day, I am a strategist for a large national financial institution. But my side gig is as a long time, and I'm talking many decades, tarot reader. So I'm well-versed in tarot card reading, particularly as it pertains to kind of high-level soul connections. So people who might identify as things like soulmates or karmic partners or Twin Flames, that's a hot button in the spiritual community right now. I know. Don't come for me. (laughs) But I also have spent the last few years really reading and diving into law of assumption and law of attraction. And it has even influenced not just my spiritual practices, but myself as a tarot reader, kind of understanding how individuals around us reflect back to us the state of the subconscious mind. So that's kind of where my woo-woo kind of spirituality side resides, right, is in kind of that spiritual advisory space, perhaps, Uh, much like somebody like such as yourself might be doing Reiki or providing energy work. I like to think of what I provide as insights into the subconscious. That's kind of how I've come to understand the archetypes of tarot. I think the archetypes of tarot are misunderstood a lot, and people just think it's a bunch of cards and a bunch of woo-woo stuff, but there is intuition 
And there is stuff that comes from within when we feel that. That's the energy work that we get from the cards, frankly. But you mentioned one of the things that you talked about is the law of attraction. And a lot of people from maybe our generation, the Gen Z population, not so much, but the Gen Xers, we remember the secret. Oh, for sure. Because Oprah Winfrey talked about it, so we had to know about it. But how about we talk a little bit about that law of attraction to start off with? Because that's a good basis to go into the laws of assumptions and the quantum leaps that we're going to make from there. Yeah, for sure. So I, you know, you bring up the secret. I think a lot of people come to the law of attraction via something like the secret and the teachings of, uh, say, Abraham Hicks, right? Which I think a, a lot of people from our generation are super familiar with Esther Hicks, who channels kind of a collection. It's a collective of entities known as Abraham. And Esther Hicks and Abraham Hicks, the general kind of feel is that you're you're looking for a vibrational feeling. And if you can think about it even more so, kind of this idea that everything around us, and, and there's some science to this, right, is, is vibrating at a certain frequency, right? So what, what we're looking to do is become kind of a vibrational match to that thing that we're after. That's kind of the boiled down bit of Abraham Hicks, that you kind of have what they refer to as this vortex of kind of desires, right? These things that are existing in an energetic state. And your goal is to align your vibration to that vibration and kind of and, and allow. This builds on the teachings of a gentleman from the early 1900s into the 1940s known as Neville Goddard. Neville is a great resource for those of you who really want to kind of understand this better. Trigger warning, if you have religious trauma, Neville will be very difficult to get into at first. You will need, especially if you have Judeo-Christian or Catholic trauma or guilt, you'll need to kind of peel that back a little because there's a lot of allegory with Neville to the Bible and kind of how the Bible is codified language. So you need to kind of get through some of that, right? But Neville too is talking about this idea that there's a a living and kind of an end state, a feeling of that thing that you want, a feeling like you already have that thing that you want. And that that feeling, again, brings about that kind of vibration. I think scientifically, you know, we could probably get into talking about some quantum mechanics, right? But kind of essentially you're, you're seeking a way, a certain waveform, right? You're seeking to bring yourself into a certain frequency form. And much like Abraham Hicks will talk about you know, kind of raising your vibes from things like anger and fear to things like, you know, love, harmony, acceptance, Neville's kind of talking about that same idea of bringing the self to a point where you're really feeling into who that person that has that thing is. So that's kind of the best primer I think I can give on law of attraction is that we're attracting to us constantly with whatever vibrational state we're kind of currently putting out. And we're doing it all the time from kind of a subconscious reality. The, the conscious mind, you probably would know better than I do, is having how many thoughts a day? You, you have anywhere from 60,000 to 82,000 thoughts in a day. Something to the effect of about 85% of them are negative and 90% are repetitive. So I think if we're thinking like in time, in that type of context, right, what's really interesting to me is that the subconscious brain, it doesn't know reality from non-reality. And if you challenge me on that, somebody who is an LMHC sitting right here with me, I would say, if you have PTSD and you hear a door slam in your house, it's going to trigger your fight or flight like, like a saber-toothed tiger is coming for you. The subconscious mind, the thing triggering the sympathetic nervous system has zero idea. It doesn't right. know. That's the same subconscious mind that is running the programming. It's the engine room running the programming when you're thinking about what you're putting out there. Think about how many repetitive thoughts you don't even realize that you're having and some of the self narrative that you are telling yourself is just based on repetition. It's a, it's a deeply dug neuro pathway, right? So it's kind of this idea that this thing is always going. It's always kind of manifesting outwardly into the world. And yet, until you bring focus and awareness to the thing, it's just doing that on autopilot. And right. there are ways and techniques to help you make that work for you. Right. And for those of you who don't understand a little bit of what Lisa was talking about, 
if you heard the roar of a saber-toothed tiger 20,000 years ago, you would automatically think fight or flight because that's what you do with saber-toothed tigers 20,000 years ago. Nowadays, you, if you have a trauma with a door closing, fight or flight, it's the same exact thing. It's the same trigger. It's the same response. I, I like to talk about the midbrain when I talk about that. And the midbrain doesn't go into thought process. It goes into what I got to do to keep myself alive right now. And so I think that when you think about the, the laws of assumption, there's a lot of it that's also attached to trauma, oh, for in sure. my opinion. No, for sure. And I think that that's where a little bit of where you wanted to go, I'm assuming. But I wanted to simplify it a little bit, a little bit because I, I know that from my perspective, it's sometimes difficult to understand why I get triggered by, I always try to use something like a chair. I try to use things that don't trigger people, trigger warnings for those who are affected by chairs, I guess. But at the end of the day, it's realizing that it's not something that we necessarily control. It's our midbrain because there is no superhighway to the upper brain or cerebral cortex. And our assumption at that point is I'm in danger. Yeah. So I think what's most interesting about the law of assumption, and, and I suppose to really get here, we'll need to talk a little bit about what Neville Goddard refers to as everyone is you pushed out. This is a this is kind of the heart of his teaching. So there's there's a whole bunch of different ways that we can interpret this. So this is kind of like a like a pick your flavor, choose your own adventure in interpretation here. I think this boils down into into two different ways that are, at least for me scientifically, make the most sense. Right. You can interpret this as you are experiencing, this is going to get real Buddhist for a second, bear with me. You're experiencing a relative reality. It's almost like you're in a, a pocket, if you will, as you experience relative reality. I'm the only one who experiences my reality the way that I do. And you could probably think of the inverse of that as like you never see yourself the way other people do, right? So like you exist in a completely different reality in someone else's head than you do in your own, right? So there's there maybe there's a little bit of evidence towards it if you can approach the quandary that way. Ultimate reality is this idea that everything that's ever going to happen has already happened, right? It's a very kind of multiverse theory that there's infinite versions of me and whether or not I had cereal for breakfast or didn't, right? When that decision point happened, those two realities just kind of went happily off in their own dimension. Butterfly effect for some people would, would say. Absolutely, right? So you could, you could interpret everyone as you pushed out as I'm experiencing a very small pocket of relative reality. Ergo, if you can think about this, and, and Dolores Cannon is, is another name that I'll drop here as somebody who speaks a lot about this type of material. Dolores Cannon suggests that you're the actor, director, screenwriter of your own play and that you're forever changing the narrative to suit the lessons that you're here to learn. Ergo, all of the other actors are following your scripts. So you could think of it this way. Uh, one of the other ways people like to interpret Neville is, and everyone as you pushed out, is that anyone can only reflect back to me what my own internal state is, what type of self-narrative, self-monologue I'm putting out there, right? So that, depending on which flavor you like, they're slightly different because one kind of suggests that like I'm the only player on the stage at any given time and the other suggests like that might not be true, but what I'm putting out is absolutely being reflected back in me. So kind of pick whatever flavor of that seems more feasible for you. Or I think as most yeah. thought people say, take what resonates and leave, leave what doesn't. But that's kind of the two schools of thought to think about everyone as you pushed out. Well, I think it's also about how we interpret the world, right? There's, I, I might have discussed this with people on my podcast, I don't remember, but this is one of my favorite studies. They staged an accident and put people at a different corner, four different corners. And they said, write down what you saw in the most non-subjective way, the most objective way. How many stories matched up? And the answer is zero. Correct. Because we see the world the way we want. Not because people are ill-intended, but because we want to see the world in a certain way. Correct. And there's a million different things that are coloring that for us, right? So trauma, absolutely. depression, schizophrenia, physical ailments, height, size. <laughs> right. 
like all of those things. Some of them are conscious. Never mind the brain. Never mind the brain. <laughs> right. Some of those things are physical. Some of those things are conscious. Some of those things are subconscious. And I think if just to give some practical examples before we get into maybe some more wild examples, we could even say things like, Picture a time when you were practicing for a job interview and you really practiced. You were in the mirror and you were having both sides of the conversation. Think about how many times the actual conversation played out exactly as you had rehearsed it. Or you're driving somewhere and you're picturing, I'm going to get a spot and it's going to be right here. And how many times you, you get there having kind of pre-paved that for yourself. And you're like, oh, there's that spot. I knew that was going to be open, right? Or I knew, like those things that you chalk up to intuition. I'm not saying there's no such thing as intuition, but I am saying when we do some neural pre-paving for ourselves, a lot of times we end up with these funky coincidences where the thing that we envisioned is the thing that we actually lived through in some way, shape or form, right? And that's that right. idea of everyone as you pushed out where I'm, I'm putting out that scenario. I'm feeling into that scenario. And then my outward world starts to reflect that back in at me. Those are really great examples of how that works, but I could say things like, and you know, maybe let's go here so we can talk a little bit about the psychology of trauma. Let me put it this way for some of your listeners. I want you to think about, a relationship that you've been in maybe where maybe you were with someone who had like anxious or avoidant attachment and you started to in your mind feed that loop like either they were being unfaithful or they don't think i am x y or z attractive enough smart enough right I, you start to build up the scaffolding of a narrative in your mind and I'm not um, advocating for individuals not taking accountability for not treating others well. But I am saying that a lot of times the thing that we're terrified of that we continue to run and rerun and rerun, that type of vibration can give our partners this sense of they just don't want to be here. I don't understand why they are pushing me away. Right? right. Although we perceive it as them pulling back, but in actuality, we're providing the push polarity through the incessant anxiety of that ongoing self-concept narrative. Right. Go ahead. I want to hear more because the narrative is essentially what I find in therapy. Once you figure out a person's narrative, you can help them tremendously. But unfortunately, I think that narrative is hard to break for some people. It is. And I think this goes back to what you what we were talking about with how many thoughts that we have that we don't bring awareness to because we are either projecting into the past and we're and we're working through trauma or trauma bonds, right? We're working from that wounded part of us and we've developed self-concept narratives to protect ourselves, or maybe even in a better place to say to protect that, that inner child or inner teenager, right? Like we're working very hard to make sure that like they don't, I don't go through that again, right? That, or we're projecting forward into the future from a place of anxiety. What will happen? How do I, again, how do I protect myself from not going through that thing again? And we do things like write this, we do things like write ourselves small, or we say that we don't have worthiness for things, right? Or we tell ourselves constantly, like, I keep going through the same pattern. This is, this is just my luck. This is how things are for me. And it's almost like we just keep digging that neural pathway deeper and deeper and deeper. And when you start to think about actively manifesting, which let's talk about that scientifically for what it is. It's actively accessing the quantum field, right? Actively seeking a reality that exists where the, the thing you want or the person you want to be or whatever, whatever that reality is, seeking that in the quantum field. To do that correctly, you have to starve out that neural pathway that you've been digging for God knows how long. Right. And, I, and I'll give you my analogy of neural pathways before you go on. I'd rather talk about like a super highway. So you created, like if you have a trauma in your life, XYZ trauma, and I don't want to trigger anyone, 
what you've done is you've taken that highway. It was dirt at the beginning, but now it's nice and shiny. There's cement. There's you put some asphalt on it. It's now seven lanes wide on both sides, and it's communicating effectively on both sides. So I don't talk about deepness, but rather like that super highway that you've really freaking taken care of. Because if you lose that narrative, what the fuck's left with you? But anyway, go ahead. I want to continue hearing. This is a great, like a great analogy though, because what do you actually have to do? right? You have to, one, be in the present moment. So the second you start to go down that well-paved, well-maintained road, which is the, think of it like water, it's the path of least resistance. It's where you're going to move to because you know, you know what it is, you know where it goes. And it's almost like driving home unconsciously where you're just like, oh, all right, 20 exits went by. Where was I, right? That's the way you're going to move down that road of current self-narrative. Right. To bring yourself to the present and say, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't actually think that. I don't actually think that. I don't actually need to believe that's what's going to happen. I don't actually need to project into that place. If you can come back even with simple self-concept recurrent narrative, like I'm worthy and I'm loved and I'm enough, and you start to work that self-concept lane, it is nothing. You're lucky if it's a horse trail, right? When you start in on it. And I'll give you an interesting anecdote that you see from a lot of people when they start work with law of assumption or law of attraction. They'll say something like, and I hope that this is true for some of your viewers. I hope they have the aha moment here. Say, I don't know. I was doing self-concept assumptions affirmations, right? I was doing those and some stuff works and then it stops. Right. Yeah. Because you have a, then I'm going to go back to the brain science of it, right? But you have a neuropathway that's constantly firing, firing, firing. I'm not worthy. I'm not enough. Everybody always hurts me. Everybody always leaves. Whatever. highway. Whatever your bull pucky is, right? Whatever that is, it's going, 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 going. And then all of a sudden in a brief gap, your affirmations grab it and go, I'm worthy, I'm enough, and I'm abundant. And all of a sudden, like the random check for your gap insurance shows up in the mail. And you're like, oh, it's weird, like money out of nowhere. All right, cool. I'm abundant, I'm abundant, I'm abundant. And then nothing happens. And it's like, yeah, because you have years of this other thing firing off. It's not the past for the weak will. Bringing yourself to the present moment constantly and redirecting this other thing that goes without your direction is incredibly difficult and disciplined in the same way daily meditation is, right? In the same way that reconnecting through breath work is, it is a, it's a practice and a process. Right. And the spirituality and mental health, I, I kind of have that conversation with a whole lot of people because, you know, yeah, it took a while to get there. Oh, you're now saying you're worthy for one day. Well, that's going to fix 36 years of really fucked up shit. <laughs> right? No, it's it's absolutely true, right? And what you come by is starting to learn what triggers you. And, and this is such a hot button word, but like listen, when you if we go back to this thought of everyone as you pushed out, you can begin to identify where you have wounding by what you up around you. So what I would tell anybody looking at the law of assumption or looking at the law of attraction is when people like do the fucked up shit and you're trying to be like, if everyone is me pushed out, like why would they act this way towards me? Well, it's because you have a deep seated wound around that. You have a narrative around that. They're playing that energy out to you. It's a great way for you to go, oh, I haven't worked on my shit around this thing. Right. Like, oh, when people act this way or that, or I have feelings of lack around money and I always feel like I don't have enough money. Well, what was money like when you were growing up? Right. What did your parents tell you? Did they tell you you have to work insanely hard? Did you grow up in scarcity? Are you running narratives that scarcity is the norm? Right. Right. Or oh, like they ghosted me. They didn't text me back. Right. And it's like, Mm -hmm. And are you waiting? Like, are you waiting to feel enough? And is it like that, that dopamine, that hit, that, that thing that they do that causes you to feel worthy? Or 
it's kind of this idea of like, you still have to start knocking people off of pedestals and start placing yourself kind of back there. Right. And to do that, you have to dig in to your trauma. You have to, because it it will point out time and time again, where you're still up without fail. And when you say digging about trauma, it's not as easy as it sounds because <laughs> no. One, no. one of the things that I've learned through work as a mental health counselor, but also in the spiritual side, there's such a narrative about trauma that comes from a lot of fucked up shit, including I deserve this. Yeah. Well, I think what happens over time is you start to identify with the thing, right? And in identifying with the thing, you have to start, you know, it's a, it's vicious, but you have to rationalize the thing. That's part of surviving it. So if you are a survivor of whatever, whatever type of abuse or whatever type of abandonment or, you know, whatever it is, and I'm, I'm speaking for myself as a trauma survivor, right? But you have to start to justify the thing or it's like, why else would it have happened? The idea that your trauma is like this tautology of it happened because it happened is very hard for people to take in to right especially after a long time where you've started to identify with whatever that is right it becomes part of the identity and then you have to say like well i must have deserved it because whatever i was a bad kid i was a bad lover i was a guy i wasn't giving enough i didn't do enough i wasn't paying attention whatever yeah and it's that's part of our survival response and Again, if you pay close attention to the what is it that you're saying, I deserve it because it's like the inverse of what you should be working on. I deserved it because I wasn't paying close enough attention. No, people weren't paying enough attention to you. Right. <laughs> right. It's very Darvo, right? But it's like <laughs> very much so. And so the interesting idea, I think, in the spiritual community and in the new thought community is, is time a construct? Is all time now? I like to think that if the present moment is kind of the only true moment of time that we experience, we could then say that when you slow down enough to say, and I'll just stay on that theme for a second, that inner child of me who says, I must have deserved it. I didn't pay enough attention, right? Right. When I start to reparent that part of myself with saying like, No, nobody paid enough attention to you. What do you want to say? Right. That type of, it it sounds, I think that's hard work for people to go back and say, okay, you weren't heard. I will listen now. That's very shamanic journeying, right? But it's like, I will listen now. When you listen now, past you gets reparented with current use empathy, current use toolkit you're providing that space and love and support the interesting thing is that you change the vibrational state of future you just through that healing process and you start to do things like not operate out of fear or desperation and when we talk about manifestation in general that's super important our our own Ongoing self-narrative is super important and giving things like acceptance, allowance, forgiveness. And and I'm talking about in at the self, right? In at the self. Because your being is only your being. And not this whole vessel, right? But like what you actually are is only concerned with now. It is a moment by moment process. Right. And I think that the problem is, I think when you have trauma, you're either in the past or in the future. So basically, when you're talking to someone, you're not done this for a few weeks, the therapy thing, I'm getting good at it. What I found with a lot of clients that I've had is that they're waiting for me sometimes when they've been through trauma, they're either waiting for me to fuck up and do the same trauma they received, or, oh, he's just setting me up for the future and hurting me. And I've work hard on telling people like if I you just live in the moment, just pay attention to what I'm saying in the moment. You'll see that I have no intention of the past or the future. I'm here in the moment. And that is such a hard thing to do. And I know it's a Buddhist thing to do to also think about we only have this moment. 
But at the end of the day, I think that what struggles we are is our emotional states is rarely the moment, but something that has been conjured up from the past or worry about the future. Yeah. And it, it pulls us from, you know, the very thing. I don't care what manner of teaching you ascribe to, right? The I think most major world religions, spiritual masters would tell you that the being, the soul, the spirit, it's, it's a vessel solely concerned with love. Love is, and I'm talking unconditional love, I'm not talking romantic love. Right. It's a feeling that exists out of the current moment, whether right. you're reflecting that inward in love for the self, whether you're reflecting it outward towards your children, your fellow man, a beautiful day. Right. That moment of connecting to the entire vibrational field around you, it is a very present moment. It doesn't exist anywhere else. I was just watching Ram Das, very be here now, but he wasn't wrong. It's the only moment that matters in any type of, even if you're perceiving time as linear, I have zero, I can't go back and change what I said up till now on this podcast, I have no idea what I will say to the end of it. All I can do is stay right here focused in the now and give it my full attention and hope I get there. That's it. And that really does start to think about the quantum field, this idea that everything that you want exists on a wave. It's a point on a waveform. It's waiting to collapse into something physical that you can see. For those of you who want more science around this, I would tell you, go look at Schrodinger's cat. It's probably one of the easiest ways to think of this paradox, right? It is, it is both this and not this until we observe it and it becomes this right. thing. That's everything you want from the house, the life, the abundance, the vacation, the whatever it is. Problem is our own bullshit gets in the way our own narrative of i'm not worthy or i deserve something other than that or somebody else deserves that but not me or it's very hard to redirect the present thought back to it doesn't have to be that way right and i think yeah. that what, there's a few things that you said you know schrodinger's cat is a great analogy and for those who want to google it go google it if uh, you want to watch a TV show that explains it fairly good, Big Bang Theory does a great job and the TV show Numbers also did a fantastic job on that because there is a paradox there that's kind of important to remember in regard to Schrodinger's cat. However, one of the things that you really describe and you talked about, it's progress is nonlinear. And I think that the other thing where people get stuck on the laws of assumption and everything else is that, oh, I'm getting better. So it's got to go like this. And for those of you who see it, it's going, no, that's not how life is. You know, it's going to be waves and waves and maybe the wave is always going up, but there's going to be downs among those waves. Oh my God. I think that's probably one of the best. It's like working out or any other process, right? But, you know, for my own experience, yeah, and that's a book in and of itself. But for my own experience in bringing about the versions of some of the, the relationships that I've wanted to surround myself with, it's almost like if you were to look at crypto, you're looking at Shiba Inu and you're looking over the course of a day and it's like, oh my, oh my God, right? And then you zoom out a little bit and you look over the course of a week and it's like doing this. And then you look over the course of a year and it's really doing this, right? Sometimes you have to take a step back. I like to, you know, and I use just because it's just for me, I use a secure notes app on my phone, but I like to do the letter technique where I write a diary entry. And so I will actually do this tonight as part of the new moon tonight in cancer because I am a cancer. I will do a technique tonight where I write a diary entry. I will write it from New Year's Eve, six months from now. I will write it as if everything I wanted came true, right? So I might actually include some stuff from earlier in the year that actually happened to kind of set my mind and set myself in that stage of rolling on. And then I will write from June to December what happened. Right. And I'll keep my eye focused on the things that I want to experience. I keep those. And what I find fascinating is when I go back to look at those, like, is there stuff that didn't happen? Yeah, for sure. Right? <laughs> like, Absolutely. What I find amazing is if I'm true to 
repeating those narratives to myself for the next six months till I actually get to New Year's Eve, how much of it I will actually experience in the day-to-day world. Is it perfect? No. But when I go back and look at those things, I'm always kind of gobsmacked by the like, shit, I wrote that. And either it or something very akin to it occurred. But I think that, and and there's your spirit animal right there. That's Bumps Uh, right there. That's my buddy. But I think that that's the other part too, is that we talk about what you're doing is fantastic. And I encourage people to do that. I mean, this is going to be out. It's coming out in the beginning of July. So I hope people take that idea that you just talked about. Do it every new moon. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I aim for the small wins. You've known me long enough for that. I go for that small win before I go get the big one. But I think that it's also kind of like where we got to be in life is that we want things to be the way we predictability to be perfect or everything that's going to go up is a linear process. I think that when you think about physics, you think about the spiritual life, you think about even what Neville Goddard talks about, there's no such thing as perfections. And we need to start worrying about more about how we can control our own narrative and not worry so much about the perfection of it. I think that, not to jump to too many authors tonight, but I think that The Alchemist gets into this quite a bit. And here's where I would say, boy, the catch-22 of being human is, right? Because I don't always think we're crystal clear on what we want, (laughs) right? I don't think we're always crystal clear on what we're actually asking the universe for. Or maybe to put it more succinctly, sometimes I think we start to go down the path of like, oh shit, if I got what I want, then like that's going to change my environment in a way that's going to make me really uncomfortable. Right. So our energy has like an ebb and flow. And so we see that ebb and flow right in the physical world. Paulo Coelho gets into this in The Alchemist when he says, when you want something with all of your heart, the universe conspires to make it so, right? right. Well, that seems like a really simple thing to say, but how many times are we actually all in? And, and I'm the worst offender. Like, how many times are we actually 150% all in? And if you're like, why does it all wobble? Like, why does my progress to the thing wobble? Well, because your conviction wobbles, because your authentic belief wobbles, your fear that when you get the thing, it's either going to be so for your listeners who are tarot savvy, I'm going to have the tower moment, right? Everything's going to shake down to the foundation to give me the thing that I just went through one of these. I wanted for forever to move my environment. And I set about telling myself that I didn't know how it was going to happen, but that I would get there. Yeah, I got there, but it shook everything I had pretty much down to the rubble to get there to the point where like, I was having a nervous breakdown like every week, (laughs) you know, (laughs) on the other side of that, I am exactly where I asked to be this time last year. But was the progress very wobbly to get there? And did it do exactly what I thought and shake me down to the rubble? Yep. Yep. And, you know, that's the process. But I think it's also about how we, one of the things that I talk about when people like have these wishes for the future, a day, a month, a year, five years, whatever the case may be, it does not matter what it is. It can't be on a material side per se. And what I mean by that is you wanted to change your environment. It didn't say in a bigger house, didn't say in a smaller house, didn't say in the middle of Boston or in the middle of North Dakota, didn't really matter in that way. But what you manifested is not a material process. And I think that when you say people don't know what they want, I think that people don't know how to express non-material needs. Well, I think people get caught up. And so we'll go back around to Neville Goddard, right? But I think people get caught up on the how. And Neville suggests that there's, the universe has an Occam's razor approach, right? All the time. The quantum field has an Occam's razor approach. So he describes what he calls the bridge of incidents, which is to us seemingly randomized events that in hindsight, you could look back and say it led you to the thing. Human beings tend to get real caught up in that. We want our fingers in the how. We really want our fingers in the how. We want to dictate the how. 
What's wild when you get into reading some of Neville's material and people who gave testimonials kind of based on his, his teachings are people who would say things like, I didn't know I had, whatever, a great uncle in Russia who died and left me his estate. There's no, there's no way I never heard of that guy, right? Or I think there's like, I think one of my favorites is a woman who ended up with like no car and she's about to have no house and no job. And she ran into somebody from high school basically kind of telling him her sob story. He had lunch with their mutual friend from high school. That guy was like a multimillionaire at the time in 1930s New York, heard about this. He had had a huge crush on her in high school, was like, oh my God, she's not doing well. And he set her up with with a trust fund out of the Mm -hmm. blue, right? And I think at the time it was like $2,500 a month, which is, this is like in the 30s, an unreal amount of money, right? Right. And so it's this idea of if you start to hem the universe in, you start to put the parameters on, like it's got to be like this, it's got to be like that, it needs to be this house. and this. It's not that it won't happen, but like think of how many other twists, turns, can't go this way, can't go that way, because you're dictating the how. And every time you dictate the how, if we're going back to the quantum field, that vibrational field where things need to collapse into an observable event, every time you put another parameter on the how, let's say there were 10 to the 10th power ways you could have gotten there with an open field where you said, I don't care. It just needs just this, the end. I just want the end and I don't care how. There's 10 to the 10th fold ways that it can get there. Right. Then you start saying, well, this is the end, but it needs to, whatever, it needs to have a burgundy car. Well, now maybe it's like 10 to the fifth that you could get there, right? Because that other probability matrix doesn't involve that. And, and then maybe you go, well, yeah. And then it also has to involve my stepbrother, you know, Pete from Terre Haute. And then it's like, oh, okay, well now it's 10 to the one because, right, right. Like that's so oddly specific to get you there. So what I would encourage people to do is exactly what, what you're talking about in my situation is get into the feeling of get into the feeling of the person who has whatever the thing is, the end state. And by the way, the end state is almost never money. Okay, just gonna throw that out there. Money is a means to something that you want. Money is a means to things like freedom or independence or security. So I would tell you if you're thinking, I need more money, why? You start, you gotta like six sigma that shit and start asking yourself five whys, all right? Like, why do you want the money? Because it makes you feel secure. Why do you need to feel secure? All right, because, right? And then think about the version of you that feels secure, whether it's job security, right? Whether it's a feeling of peace and prosperity for your family. You wanna lean into that feeling and think, act, and tell a narrative as if you are that person with that thing and sit with that feeling. For those of you who are like, I can't meditate. I don't like to do the ohms. I don't like to chant. I don't like to, right? Okay. A great meditation for you is to have a picture of this. This is a great meditation for you. Picture you telling your best friend about your life with that thing that you want. As if you have it today, you're talking with your bestie, like you're on the phone, you're going to talk that through. You don't necessarily need to say how, but you're going to need to say things like, I love the house that we're in. It's perfect. I wake up every morning. I have my coffee in the kitchen. I feel so relaxed, right? Like it's got a beautiful view. I feel content here. Feel into that state. That's the vibrational thing that that you want. And how you got there doesn't matter. You already have it. Doesn't matter how you got there. Let go of that. Let the physics do it for you. Let go. Oh, feeling that state is so important too. And I think that I like those words that you put feel in that state because one of the things that you've known me long enough, one of my hardest things, my first language is French. And I always find it really hard in, I particularly in American culture. And yes, here I'm American now, so I can complain all I want. <laughs> when I tell people I love them, to me, it's not like a weird love, like what people think about in other ways. I say this to my clients all the time. I mean, there's no word for like in French. There's nothing. Right. So for me, love is just, I love someone. I guess you could say like, Shakif, right? I guess that's as close as you might might get, right? But like, you're right. Use a door for everything or M for everything. Absolutely. 
And I've learned that for me, one of the things that really plays into the narrative, the feel in the state is that I end up talking to people and I go, okay, I can't say love because it's going to be misinterpreted. And I'm not talking only about clients. I'm talking about people day to day. And until I have that, like, listen, I don't have a word for like in French and I don't know how the hell to say like, I mean, it's the stupidest word in the world, in my opinion, in that way. <laughs> so I think that once I feel that state and I just say it like, and I've said to my clients many times, I love them. And yes, for those of you who think that's weird, I don't give a shit. I think that what I've learned is that it also helps heal when you're using the right words with people. I mean, this is very Americanized, I think. I think we're sold from a very, this is, this is social programming on my, social engineering, I think. We're sold a bill of goods around love from an early age in the States, right? That love is only romantic love. And if there's one thing that everything that I've read from amazing channelings to amazing interpretations of spiritual books, it's that love is what you are, period. End of, end of story. At the end, of you, you, you came right. from it when you came here. You're going back to it when you leave here. You're here for the good time, not for the long time, right? And what you actually are is a being of endless love that is essentially recording data right. for a much larger system. You are just a small piece of that system experiencing data for a short period of time. And when you go back, you will bring it lovingly back to whatever you want to call it. God, source, the universe, or whatever you want to call it. We're sold a romanticized bill of goods around love. And I think that's on me personally, I'm soapboxing. I think it's on purpose to distract us from the idea that there should be a huge campaign right now on earth to just normalize doing things like telling your friends that you love them. Telling, I have two coworkers that I absolutely say love you to when I hang up casual conversations with because we've been coworkers for five years and I think of them as friends and I love them. I would be heartbroken if anything happened to them. We need to get better at just recognizing the fact that what if everybody actually is us pushed out? And what if the only way to actually capitalize that on a way that makes sense and is humanitarian is to recognize that like unconditional love doesn't mean don't have boundaries. Unconditional love doesn't mean no. let people treat you like shit. Unconditional love means that you're operating from a place where you've got your best interests at heart first and foremost. And then after you're done filling that cup, you blossom into service for others from that universal love, right? That doesn't mean don't fill your own cup first, by the way, especially if you're out there listening and you identify as an empath, this first, then that, right? This first, then that. But I think that that's, that's kind of where I wanted to go with that, that thought process of love, because love is not, you know, when you're thinking about assumptions and you're thinking about neurology and all that, if you don't distribute love, so to speak, how the hell are you going to get anywhere in life? And to me, on a spiritual standpoint, I'd rather say I love my clients and get whatever people get a little freaked out. I, I kind of explained it for those who freak out, then have to worry about if the word's going to be misinterpreted and stuff like that. Because if you give out love, you will receive love. And that's kind of like the spiritual process and the spiritual practice that I take on a day-to-day -day basis. You talk about your friends. I've got friends that I've loved for years. I have clients that I love. I have colleagues that I love. And I think that once you kind of like have that notion of love, you can only attract that love when you talk about the concept of what you attract back to and the lot of attraction. That's right. And for those who want more scientific proof, and his name is going to escape me, he's a Japanese, it's a Japanese scientist who did experiments with water and water holding data and the crystalline structures that would build up in water that were exposed to vibrational work, meaning people either thinking, experiencing, or speaking words of affection, love, acceptance over water. And then people who were doing things like your piece of worthless shit over water. And what he would do is freeze those two samples and look at the crystalline structures of what the data did 
it's reproducible. You could do it. If you had a microscope in a freezer, you could absolutely do this experiment. The water that holds that data of the vibrational state of I love you makes beautiful symmetrical crystalline structures. They look very much like sacred geometry. And the water that has that vibration of like, yeah, you you are worthless, right? Has very asymmetrical, fractured. We would say it's it's not artistically palatable to us, right? It just it doesn't sit well with us, like our our sense of aesthetics. So there's there's plenty of studies of plants around this, but I would probably suggest that because plants and humans are so much water. And the beauty of doing a a podcast is I can go on uh, Google while you're talking, and his name is Masahu Emodi. That is correct. Thank you for that. Keeping me honest. (laughs) There is... Give credit where credit is due. Very important to me. You need to look at, for those on your listener base who are like, I'm interested in that, please go look at the study that he did and do look at the structures. I think you can find pictures. He had a bunch of Buddhist monks pray over moving water coming under a bridge. And that water in particular looked incredible as far as crystalline structure goes. And you may be saying to yourself, does this this law of assumption it will lead you down the pathway of like, is that how uh, prayer works? Yes. Is it how faith healing works? Yes. Is that how the placebo effect works? Yes. <laughs> right. So there's a lot of sci- science and, you know, to some, to some respect, pseudoscience that will dovetail here. I think what, what I'd like for your listeners to really think about is if you want to create those narratives for the things that you want and the person that you want to be, you will need to go do the trauma work because it will continue to resurface and it will continue to sabotage all of your good intentions. You you need to figure out what makes you a triggered bitch and then go deal with it. And for me personally, that's been the journey of, I'd say the last two years. I think I was upfront with this on wrestling podcast, but I've been in therapy for a long time. That has been the focus of my therapy is like, where the fuck do I keep getting triggered? Because those are the pieces of me I need to dig really deep with and validate and learn to recognize that they don't derail me from the inner work, the spiritual work that I'm doing and the things that I want to experience as a spiritual person. And I think that with trauma work, there's a few things I want to mention because when we talk about the spirituality of it, trauma is stored in a certain way in our brain. And if you really work on your trauma, you can change the way it's stored. And I tell people that and they're like, you're you're crazy. And I've done it and certainly give shout out to my therapist, Joe, who's helped me tremendously with that. You can change how you store it. Doesn't mean that the the memory is not like it's the same. It's the same memory, but you can change how you store it so that you can live through it and actually be okay with the process of it. Number one. Number two, I think that with trauma, one of the things that we need to work on as a community in general, I don't get to to tell, Hey Lisa, this is not trauma, but that is, and you don't get to say, Hey Steve, this is trauma. And this is not trauma is trauma. And we're not there to judge it. And I think that on a spiritual standpoint, when we talk about everything that we've talked about, the hardest part is that a lot of people like, well, I wasn't a refugee stuck in a truck in Texas. Therefore, my trauma is not valid. No, it's not about validity. It's about what it did to you and how you're going to store and how you're going to process it. And I think there's a lot of people who struggle with that. And so losing that. And then I think me and you have had a private conversation about this. Once we lose our trauma, do we lose our identity, which is even more deep? Yes. To a certain extent, you're going to rebuild a lot of yourself from scratch. No matter what path you want to go down in the spiritual community, whether, whether you're into law of assumption, law of attraction, whether you're into bhakti yoga, whether you're into the Tao or Taoism, no matter what your flavor is, whether you're witchcraft, whatever it is, which is just spicy psychology anyway, in my opinion, but what, you know, no matter what your flavor is, you will inevitably, something will bring you to a dark night of the soul. Something inevitably brings us to the point where our, our ego what we consider ourselves to be gets shaken down enough where you don't have many choices. You could unalive, maybe. That's where I was. That's what brought me into therapy several years ago. 
you could decide to go, you know, balls to the wall with spirituality. That's cool too. But as you learn to heal from trauma, you'll need to kind of think about, all right, well, without my trauma, you know, I'm not, I'm saying trauma will take up, you can't see me if you're not watching, but you know, just think of a big, big circle that represents your trauma, right? And that's, that's a space, let's say, a, a, the boundaries of, your, of yourself. And maybe today trauma fills that all the way to the, to the boundaries. And as you start to heal it, I'm not saying it ever goes away, but it becomes a very small compartment of that boundary. And then right. you have all this space around it. And what is that? Once that trauma becomes this very small part of the identity, then, then what is this other thing? The cool thing is, is that if we're present and kind of tying it off, I guess, but if you're present, if you're present with the self, if you start to panic and go down that old narrative of worthiness or abandonment or whatever, it's like going back to like booze or drugs or gambling. But if you start to go back to that thing that felt good because it was what you knew, stopping that and going back to, I, I am worthy and I am an individual who is loved and loves and is abundant and who is chosen and prioritized. And that's the narrative that I choose to tell for myself. And building practices around the things that you can do for yourself that make you feel that way, whether that's going outside and walking around barefoot, cooking yourself a good meal, sitting down with a good book, taking what my best friend and I refer to as the hot bitch bath, right? Which means like the bath bombs going in, the candles are getting lit. I might be pouring a glass of rosé. I don't know. Like I'm, You're I'm such taking a cancer. care, you know, I'm taking care <laughs> of the vessel, right? Whatever that is that validates those feelings and you're validating those feelings for you. You're not going out to seek that, right? You're saying like, what am I going to do for me that reinforces those feelings of being loved, worthy, abundant, chosen, prioritized? You can create that vibrational state in yourself by giving that thing to yourself. You, it's just being cognizant of when the train of thought starts to go this way, reining it back into the present moment and giving yourself that gift of whatever is going to reinforce what you want in life. And the thing I want to say is that the trauma that you described and how it empties once you start doing the process, it's not empty space, it's new opportunities, which you can fill with whatever the hell you want. Exactly. And I think, I, I think that that's kind of like a great way for us to kind of like wrap it up here because it's already been an hour. Me and Lisa can probably talk another two hours about this. But interestingly enough, when we were supposed to originally record this, you had COVID and this time it's my turn. <laughs> now you have the Rona. I know she's just, she's just the village bike, this Rona just going around. And I would love to continue your conversation, but I also know that the attention span of most human beings is an hour. Number two, I'm fading. I'm feeling myself fade. So I'm just going to call it what it is. I'm fading. You need to give yourself the gift of that sleep. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So I want to thank you again. You were the number one show in the first season. By far. Thank you. That's awesome. Just gives you something else to aim for for season five, which we're in right now. And so, but I wanted to thank you. I've known you for a long time and the richness of our relationship is always something that I've absolutely loved. And I really love you and appreciate you. And I want to make sure I said that. Yeah. I love you and appreciate you too. Very, very much. And you know, for, for those, we talked about a bunch of stuff today. Neville Goddard, Abraham Hicks, what else? The Alchemist. Dolores, the, Dolores, Dolores, Dolores Cannon. Ca Those would be the four. <laughs> and then, and, and I, I still think that going to the, the Masaruri Modi to look at the studies. Yes, do go be, look at the the water. Do go look at the crystalline structures of influenced data inside water. It is an amazing study, and and if you're scientific minded, I think will be something that will truly interest you. So, yeah, good call up. And I think that for me, when you, you know, everyone has something to plug, you're plugging other authors. So beautiful. Yeah. Well, sorry. There, there is a, there's also an equally a lovely author on the pod today. It's not me. Thank you. But I also think that people ever want to go on TikTok, they perhaps could find you. They could, they could find me at Queen of Cups Tarot, double deuce, Queen of Cups Tarot 22. 
on TikTok, I do provide tarot and and, and from time to time some uh, self-deprecating funnies over there. But you can find me there and Instagram, Queen of Cups Tarot 22, where I do provide tarot insights to folks who are looking to connect. I, I recommend it. So I want to make sure we plug that too. Thank you for that. I'll talk to you soon. Yep. Adios. Well, this concludes episode 56 of Finding Your Way Through Therapy. Lisa Dennis, thank you so much. That was a great conversation. Really like talking about Abraham Hicks and Neville Goddard. We talked about The Alchemist. Talked about a lot of different stuff, so I hope you enjoyed it too. Episode 57 will be Stephanie Simpson. Stephanie is a friend of a friend who I'm hoping that we're going to have a great conversation about a bunch of different stuff. But more importantly, we're going to talk about conscious leadership, among other things, and form leadership, as well as her experience in therapy. So I'm looking forward to that. Please like, subscribe, or follow this podcast on your favorite platform. A glowing review is always helpful. And as a reminder, this podcast is for information, educational, and entertainment purposes. If you are struggling with a mental health or substance abuse issue, please reach out to a professional counselor or therapist for consultation.